welcome to Talking Tropes. Yes, this is the podcast where we're like a radioactive isotrope, rapidly decaying and losing all energy. <laughs> uh, I'm David, boy genius. And I am Hannah, kid detective. And guess what we're talking about, y'all? We're talking about boy geniuses, child prodigies, and all manner of uh, smarts under the age of 18. Uh, yeah, I'm so pumped to get into this with you because, like, genius kids is actually one of my favorite character tropes, I think. I It's your it's one of your favorite? Kind of? It seems so, like, incidental, usually. It is, but I do really tend to, to like, genuinely enjoy these characters a lot. Do you think it's, do you think it's more of, like, something that you have a nostalgic fondness for? Because I think for a lot of people, you know... The whole point of these child geniuses is that they're uh, a way to empower yourself. And you remember, like, feeling so empowered as a kid watching them or reading them as opposed to, like, now. What do you think? I would say no, because when I encounter child geniuses, even now as an adult, I still love them. (laughs) That's true. Um, But let's start sort of with um, some of the origins of this trope. Because this is a decently old one, but not, like, as old as time itself. (laughs) This trope proper kind of started in the 1800s, around the time that dime novels and pulp fiction started being written. Those are sort of low-quality sci-fi fantasy adventure stories aimed at kids. Mass market. um, And more specifically boys, usually. Were they aimed specifically? Like, pulp novels weren't just for kids. Pulp novels were not just for kids, but there was a sense that they were a form of low art. Oh, uh, for they sure. Were the, you they know, were... the source of what eventually became comic books. Well, they're mass and... market, and they're, they're yeah. the books you buy in the grocery store. They're the detective novels. But there was a the... sense that they were kind of childlike or for, you know, adults who are children at heart. Right. Um, and I think that's what led to the creation of this one story, The Steam Man of the Prairies by Edward S. Ellis, um, which was one of the early science fiction dime novels. Um, and it, it's actually considered to be like one of the first science fiction novels that was mass produced. And it was basically the story of this genius kid named Johnny Brain Nerd. Brain Nerd. <laughs> But I just think of it as brain nerd. I mean, it's um, really obvious character naming. <laughs> and uh, his invention of a steam man, which is just like a robot man with no like brain or soul, but it, it just walks with steam power. Okay. And that's how he gets around the prairies, is he hitches up a wagon to a steam-powered walking guy, which seems really inefficient to me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe, but certainly science fiction-y and fun. Yeah, it's sometimes considered, like, one of the first, like, robots that looked like people kind of thing. Oh, cool. Um, in fiction. And it's just this weird, like, there's a steam-driven robot man, and the kid uses it to solve all his problems and achieve riches and fame. <laughs> and this genre was called the Edisonade, or Edisonade, which is um, sort of a takeoff on the Robinson Aid, which is stories that are like Robinson Crusoe, you know, stories about being stranded on an island. This was a genre that was about, you know, just child geniuses, boy geniuses, solving all their problems with their cleverness and smarts. Hell yeah. 
Salva, you're Just probably. like Edison did. Did he? <laughs> did Edison invent anything of value? I don't know, maybe. He killed some elephants. We're, yeah. I'd like to start talking, uh, now that we know where this trope came from. Thank you, David. Um, no problem. I'd love to start talking with some classic-ass boy geniuses from our childhood. Let's do it. Um, let's let's have a brain blast right now. Uh, whoa, is that a Jimmy Neutron reference? <laughs> Jimmy Neutron and Dexter's Lab were the two prime examples of boy geniuses. I mean, yeah, I, I think anyone from our generation, when they think boy genius, that's definitely going to be two of the like first examples. That Jimmy Neutron had boy genius in the title. <laughs> yeah, that's so, how you know he was a boy genius. Yeah. And that he's a boy. <laughs> um, but I think his boyness was pretty relevant, you know? Like, the fact that he was a child sort of informed most of, like, whatever he wanted for the episode was something that, like, a normal child would want. At right. least in the beginning. It was like, I don't want to fold pants. <laughs> I don't want parents telling me what to do. Yeah. I don't want girls to do anything near me. Gross. Girls are icky. Yeah, there was a lot of girls are gross. Well, classic early 2000s let's, trope. Let's not forget that this the show started from the movie. Yeah, the movie was a pretty direct wish fulfillment, but also it's like just, be careful what you wish for thing for kids. Yeah, it's, where like, it's like parents suck. Let's get rid of them. Parents suck. Let's have a party. That was heavily involved in the advertising. <laughs> the boy genius made them all the parents disappear. Woohoo! Uh-oh. Now it's bad. We need them back. Uh, alien egg chicken worshippers. I I don't know. I feel that movie like it, was odd. I feel like it was a good movie. I have good memories of that movie. I should go back and watch it. It's it's not a great movie, oh, no. but it is a good like pilot for what ended up being a pretty entertaining cartoon. Yeah. It was nominated for an Oscar at the <laughs> first uh, the first animated best animated feature oh, you know boy. category <laughs> oh boy wow i um, i don't think it deserved that but there's always like <laughs> but weird the, you know movies. there were only a few animated movies yeah. that year Ugh. i mean even now i still sometimes look at the things that are nominated for animated oscars and i'm like really that um that one did <laughs> anyway so so david and i are going to talk about a lot of boy geniuses in this right. episode. Um, and what we've really sort of realized when thinking about and going back and watching um, a lot of these things and reading these things is that it's a very common trope, but it's used in a lot of really different ways narratively. And I think but that's... But it kind of all comes back, I think, a little bit to wish fulfillment because none sure. of these characters are really portrayed as realistically intelligent. Maybe sure. one or two of them is. But, but for the most part, they're either portrayed as having, like, adult levels of intelligence, or they just have the ability to build pretty much anything. Because the plot calls for it, and they're the right. resident genius. And Jimmy Neutron definitely falls into that latter category. He doesn't have an adult intelligence or emotional intelligence, but he does have that... The ability to invent anything. Yeah. Yeah, he can grant any wish that he wants, basically. He's, right. He's virtually identical to Timmy Turner yeah. getting fairy godparents but in every way, which is just, why that crossover makes sense. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's just instead of magic, it's science that's fulfilling the same right. like plot goals. 
science and magic are pretty much interchangeable <laughs> for the most part. Right. You know, you'll have a lot of the same types of episodes in Jimmy Neutron. Time travel, space travel. Um, I really want to make Love money. spells, so, but they're potions that do yeah, stuff to your switching hormones. brains with people. Yeah. Making something come alive that you didn't mean to come alive. Yeah. These are all the same things that would happen in Fairly Robo-mom versus, Jimmy, like, fairy mom or whatever. Right. One of the things that I think you'll find that's pretty common between all these tropes is that the geniuses are very rarely surrounded by other people of great intelligence. Yes. Or even, like, moderate intelligence. (laughs) Uh. So, Jimmy especially surrounds himself with the dumbest people he can find. Yeah, his friends are really dumb. to inflate his ego. Oh, of course, because his biggest rival in life is the only other girl who, like, would be the smartest kid in the class if Jimmy didn't exist. Which is, I think that works, at least from Cindy's side. Yeah. Because if I were Cindy... And I were, like, the best student in the class. And then just this kid shows up who can, like, build rocket ships in his basement. <laughs> I would be so pissed. But then who's also and he's inc- so he's so snooty about it, condescending. Too. Like, he's the worst dude. Jimmy's annoying. <laughs> I hope everyone like, knows. Like, I would absolutely hate this kid like, if he was in my class. Cindy has but, her moments, but Jimmy's yeah. very, very bad. And a lot of her actions, I think, are very justifiable. But I think, oddly enough, for a show that doesn't have a ton of continuity, the two characters did, like, mature over the course of the show. Yeah, definitely. In a very bizarre way. And then I think, like, once you get both of their egos out of the way, then they do kind of make sense as a couple, as a a ship. And, like, like there are plenty of episodes where they have to team up for whatever reason to solve a problem and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, Let's talk about Dexter, though. So, yeah, Dexter's very this, different. This came before it's, Jimmy. This was yeah. 90s. But you can... I'm pretty sure that the ideas were conceived of separately. Oh, yeah. Because they don't feel similar. No, they're not similar at all, but... Um, I don't know. I think it's interesting to sort of look at what... What came before our childhood and might have influenced it mildly. <laughs> um, right. I mean, Dexter's Lab was very much a big part of my childhood. Oh, yeah. The musical instrumental intro is is ingrained in my brain yeah like i don't know about you but kids in my fifth grade class were definitely yelling like omelette du fromage omelette du fromage Uh, yeah yeah. dexter's lab is more about sort of recontextualizing mad scientist tropes from like the 50s Mm -hmm. and putting them in the body of A a tiny child with, with a, a silly German voice. God complex. Is it is was did he have a German accent or was he just? I think it was very German. I don't know. I can't do it right now. But yeah, no, I think it was. It's German. like a nothing accent. It's an accent that doesn't exist in real life. It's just yeah. a mad scientist accent. It's like if someone took um, young Frankenstein but just made him <laughs> right, a kid. Yeah. Younger Frankenstein. Younger Frankenstein. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so he's got the lab coat, he's got gloves and boots, and he's got a gigantic lab that couldn't possibly fit inside or under his house. Again, it's a secret from his parents, which is, you know, what every kid wants, to have a secret world that is just their own. And they already kind of, you know, kids already feel like they have a secret life, you know, that they don't 
that they hide from their parents. And so this is taking that and turning it into something huge and important. Totally. But the real focus of Dexter's lab, obviously, is the sibling rivalry between Dexter and Dee Dee. Well, and so then also this show, too, similarly to, I think, Jimmy Neutron, um, his rival was the only other smart person, though in this case, the other smart person was also a genius. He was just an evil but he was genius. Evil, and his name was Mandark. Because, again, on the nose character naming. Right. Um, but it works because he's such an on the nose villain <laughs> who has just bought into the villain role. And I think it kind of plays into the idea of, like, when we're kids, even, like, our friends are our arch enemies. Well, right, because who else do you know? It's just the other kids in the neighborhood. And they're both just constantly trying to out-invent each other and compete. Oh, yeah. And that's fun to watch. It is certainly fun to watch. Um, so let's stick with kids' shows for a little bit, and let's talk about Phineas yeah. and Ferb. Yeah, Phineas and Ferb is a more modern, more, I guess, optimistic take. Um, the, the, the thing about Phineas and Ferb, obviously, is that, like, none of their inventions ever go horribly wrong, for the most part. Yeah. They usually go pretty well. They, uh, a lot of they the built a roller coaster. Is, they built is a found, backyard beach. It's found from the adult evil genius on that show. <laughs> oh, that's true. And the subplot yeah. with Which the, Perry the, the Plotipus. Kid evil, the, the kid geniuses and the adult evil genius don't even, like, meet until... Uh, the movie. Yeah. They keep those two things pretty separate for the most part. But like... And usually it's just like Phineas and Ferb's inventions will accidentally counteract Doofenshmirtz's innovators. Right, right. Um, or, or... So they're not like Perry superhero will... inventors. Exactly. No, because they've got um, Super Spy Perry to step in for that yeah. role. They're just like having fun. Yeah. Kicking back. Kicking Building it. roller coasters and... Fun rides exactly. and time machines. It's the sort of thing where it's like, if you were a kid and you just happened to be a genius, like, what what would you do? And, like, that's right. what happens here. And and I think also there's the running joke in the show, of course, where people are like, aren't you a little young to be, like, building an amusement park? And yeah. Like, no, no, we're they not. They love their running gags. Basically, that whole show is just built on a really stable formula. Yeah, and it's a great one. The kids say, where's Perry at some point? Candace tries to bust them for breaking the rules, ah. but she doesn't get away with it. Candace. Pretty. That stodgy just... older sister. Well, she was right pretty much every time. <laughs> like, in the real world, if she would be you right. had a 10-year-old building... A bomb. Roller coasters or time machines, you would probably be against it. Yeah. I would be. Um, I'd I think, be worried. I think we have definitely at least one other that falls into this, like, really definitely, like, kid world, like, um, wish fulfillment thing. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely Kids Next Door. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know... Pretty much every kid in that universe is a genius. Yeah. Um, they use two by four technology, which just means they get a bunch of junk and pretend that it works and then it sort of does. Right. Um, and everything's got a fun acronym. Right. Like an impressive sounding acronym that they give it um, yep. that actually stands for something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think within that group, maybe you could say that like number two was like the more inventor. of a, an inventor than the other ones. Yeah. Um, 
but you know they were all pretty much able to use this technology and invent new things right outsmart adults which is the real thing is that evil in this world is adults well and just like the conformity and uncreativity of adulthood um sure and like yeah. i think but it would be like it'd be like in a very you know in a very on the nose kind of way oh, like sure. adults like broccoli and jobs and wearing ties like, these are the things that adults want. Right. Well, like, it's very much a kid's conception of what it means to be a boring adult. Um, sure. But, like, I think they have some, like, sort of more interesting episodes where they talk about, like, teenagers who aren't quite adults but are, like, agents for the adults because, like, sure. being a kid's not cool <laughs> enough for them anymore. And, like, I just remember there's a whole episode where someone, like, has to wear a bra and, like, right. bra stands for, like, battle-ready artillery or something and like yeah um i mean i guess kids next door it wasn't that it was like complex no but it was ambitious it was and and it was trying to do a lot (laughs) i think as far as wish fulfillment goes like kids next door fun wish fulfillment might be my favorite of the four we've mentioned so far like jimmy neutron dexter's and phineas for me it's probably dexter's just because i like that slapstick style more than i do the adventure style. Yeah. Oh, so there's just some really good Kids Next Door episodes, man. Yeah. Some they really did a lot emotional of, uh, parodies. Ones. And and it, the thing is that, like, something that's really funny to me is taking a movie that has, like, a really big scale, um, like Jurassic Park uh-huh. or, you know, Star Wars, and making it about something really mundane, like <laughs> homework or, you know, nap time. Yeah. You know, eating broccoli. Right. That's something that's really funny to me, and that, that was what Kids Next Door did. Definitely. And, all the time. and they did it really well. Like... Yeah. Like, honestly, go back... Like, I've rewatched some episodes in, in adulthood, and I think they hold yeah. up pretty well. What other cartoons do we have on this list? All right, let's see. We've got uh, Shaolin Showdown is strangely one of the few examples where they have an evil boy genius... <laughs> But none of the other children are geniuses. I think that's interesting. He's portrayed as being really stupid, but he's like an inventor. This is Jack Spicer, evil boy genius from Shaolin Showdown. With the cool goggles. And he, like a well, jetpack. Cool might be pushing it. He had a, a unique style. I think he looked evil, but I definitely thought he was like kind of cool. Like his style was kind <laughs> of cool. Right, but he's always the butt of the joke. He's always making really stupid mistakes. Yes. Well, because he's like the bad guy, so he has to lose, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then what other cartoons? We got <laughs> Family Guy is an adult-oriented cartoon. Yeah, so... And they have a baby genius, which maybe wouldn't qualify. And Family Guy is maybe the weirdest thing on this list. Maybe, yeah. Um, well, because I think it's just part of that like show that the smartest person in this family is a baby and maybe the next smartest person is a dog. (laughs) But for some reason also they've given this baby adult sexuality, which I don't know how to feel about and, (sighs) you know, made it basically an adult trapped in a baby's body. Right. Who hates everything about being babied. Yeah. Um, So that's like a slightly different kind of child genius prodigy is, the adult trapped in a child's body. Yeah. Um, Which we've got a couple other examples of that. Um, we such sure as do. in the anime Bacano, 
there's a character named Chesla Meyer. This is a, an anime about um, immortals in the nineteen in nineteen twenties New York. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. It's also about a lot of things. Um, it's a story it's a about gangsters and show. storytelling. <laughs> right, but also there are immortals yes. who sometimes become immortal by uh, well, by demon power. So well, Chesla Meyer is this child who is immortal and has been around for a couple hundred years or so. Yeah. And, and so looks like a child but has the brain of a very old person. Right. And, like, he definitely does play some people off each other because a lot of it is the sort of thing where the immortals have to sort of keep it hidden that they're immortal. You know, he has to have some machinations during throughout the show to, to keep his secret. Um, <laughs> Which is very similar to um, Conan, Detective Conan, yeah. from the series of the same name. You um, might also know it by Case Closed in America. Right, in America, which is a much, seems like a much more boring name to me. Really? I but like it better. Case Closed. It could be about anything. It could be about, like, Yeah, but so could know, Detective Conan. NCIS. Like, honestly, I hear Detective Conan, and I'm like, ah, Conan the Barbarian, but he's a detective now. <laughs> right. He's He's named for... Uh, Sir Arthur, Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle, Doyle yeah. um, who wrote right? Sherlock. Yep, who wrote Sherlock. Yeah, um, and he's in the dubbed version. His adult name is Jimmy, Jimmy something. Jimmy Kudo. Jimmy Kudo, who gets transformed into a child by drugs that were supposed to kill him, but they just make him a child somehow. I don't know. And like they don't check. Like <laughs> the, the logic of this show, pretty thoroughly escapes yeah the premise is a little crazy but then it's tons of fun because it's just this kid detective running around well and that's the thing right. he's still like a 17 year old detective too so like right it's still a but little like, doogie that's the housery really weird thing about the conception of this show is like wait did you really have to even give him the kid drugs couldn't you have just made him a kid <laughs> genius like why is that so much harder to believe than a 17 like, year old a 17 year old genius yeah He's a detective who could solve any crime that the police can't. Yeah. He's 17 years old. He's a soccer star. And but he's, he's trapped also, in a child's body. and lives He's also with pretty a... good at like combat, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think he knows some martial arts. Um, and then he gets turned into a kid. And he's still good at soccer yeah. and solving crimes. This is another one like, where it's like he, the genius is surrounded by idiots. And right. like no one else can pretty much solve what... What he can. Right, what he can. And that's the wish fulfillment for sure is oh, like, yeah. oh man, look at me. I'm smarter than everybody. But that's kind of the same kind of wish fulfillment that happens in Sherlock, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I think like, it's... all of them are idiots too. And, and there's Benedict like a... Cumberbatch is not shy about saying so. As the series progresses, so originally he's just working with... Um, it's so weird. He ends up living his, with like his girlfriend from when he was a teenager, and her and dad, her dad who is who's a also a detective, detective, but is like really bad at it. And so right. he sort of like makes him famous and good at stuff by like knocking him out and solving the crime for him with like a voice changer. Right. Um, but he never gets any credit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so he, uh, what do you call it? As the series progresses, like, he's a kid, so he has to go to school. 
Um, and he sort of makes friends. And he makes friends with a bunch of stupid kids. But they're not that stupid. Oh, you think they're annoying? I hate them. They're fine. Just just have him with Rachel or whatever her name is in the subversion. And with the with the detective guy that he shoots with a yeah, dart to I don't make know. him talk. This this is a really really long running series. I think they needed to reintroduce something. Yeah, it's still going on. They have not brought Jimmy back to his teenage self. Um, he, sh- he should have aged through that. Yeah, time, he should like, just be seventeen seven times now. Over. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. he he falls in with these kids and like. The kids form their own little detective group and they go around and they solve crimes together. And like, it's right. super popular with kids in Japan like right. this. They're really violent group. crimes, which is surprising. Yeah. Like, I mean, Japan has different ideas Standards. than we do, but they're very violent and very like passionate murder crimes. Yeah. Like you definitely see a decent amount of blood just to like hop back a second. Um, yeah. Big Hero 6 that's another story with, um, you know, with a boy genius, but it's based on, obviously, a comic book, which comic books also have, like, a long history of child geniuses, child prodigies. Sometimes it's, like, you know, when you have, like, Superboy, obviously, if you show Lex Luthor as a kid, he's going to be still a genius. Right. So I think that's kind of, like, the origin in comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you've also got those pulpy stories about, like, a kid who copies the Flash and then becomes his sidekick and he's Kid Flash. Right. And then you've got child superheroes who are just their own superhero. Mm-hmm. So, like, some versions of Spider-Man are young enough to maybe count on this list, but typically he's a high schooler and a college student. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to talk about him too yeah. much. But Hero is very explicitly a child who invents... In the comics, he invents, a like, a bio robot friend to help him and in the movie he invents other stuff (laughs) like karate programs based off of movies and he creates uh microbots that can solve all the world's problems sounds pretty wish fulfillment-y and a brain helmet that controls all of them (laughs) so he's pretty smart and all of the kids uh, all of the characters in that uh, movie are super geniuses. That's like yeah. the premise. Yeah. Um, but most of them are college aged. Definitely. Um, and so hero has to be the self insert. Yeah. Character. I think there's a couple of more, um, anime geniuses for us to talk about. Sure. Um, so one example is the Elric brothers from full metal alchemist. Right. The whole plot. I feel like magic kind of does, tie into like the science here because it's magic science yes it's magic but science. it's definitely clear in full metal alchemist that these kids are prodigies right and that the the only version of science that exists in that world is alchemy right um so even though it looks like magic it's basically just the same as taking chemistry classes right <laughs> and Super they've figured out chemistry. the chemical way to almost bring back a human being from death. Yeah. At the age of 10. So that's pretty So good. like, yeah. Well, and so in this case, I think they're geniuses and that kicks off the plot because sort of like it's Hubris. their well, it's their youth and naivete that 
makes them feel like they can bring their mother back to life because that's the sort of plot genesis. That but it's not treated as like, oh, good for them. They believe in themselves. No. It's treated like they are the worst monsters guilty of such great hubris. Well, be- I mean, they are. How dare <laughs> they try to reverse the hand of God? <laughs> you know, but- like it's it's treated like they're the same as any mad scientist, any Frankenstein. They're another young Frankenstein. I Here's the thing. I think most of that comes from themselves, though. Like... Like, people are like... But the story definitely treats them that way. They're treated like dog crap after they try human transmutation. But, like, (laughs) again, because uh, they treat themselves that way. Like, they think they deserve it, you know? Like, and I think Ed especially, because he blames himself for Al's condition of losing his body. Um, Listen, I'll defend the show (laughs) to the No, I'm not attacking the show. I'm just saying that the message of the show is against the hubris of scientists, much the same way that Frankenstein is or, you know, a particularly dire episode of Jimmy Neutron. Sure. But but I think it's the fact that they're geniuses, but they're still young enough that they would attempt such a thing. Um, Sure. I mean, they're, I guess, forgiven for it by the plot because they work so hard to reverse the damage that they've done. Right. And I think also they, whatever the unintended consequences, they also do sort of save the world in the end, um, which is nice. Right. Which, but how could you not in (laughs) a story for anime consumers, for kids, for Well, I don't know if I would say Full Alchemist is necessarily for kids, but... Um, it, yeah, well, we watched it as kids. Like middle school, though, or at least I was in middle school. I don't know when well, I made you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, FMA, yeah. Full Metal Alchemist, it is a tragic show about and then, scientists doing horrible, horrible things to other scientists. And it's amazing. Um, yes. on a lighter note... <laughs> Seto Kaiba from Yu-Gi-Oh! is here to yeah. kick your ass. And he's a genius, he's too. A, he's a boy genius, I, I, I think. I mean, he's it's kind of unclear how old he is. I think he's a I, teenager in most of the show, but we definitely get flashbacks to him as a child, and he's still pretty frickin' smart. Yeah, he, he beats his uh, adoptive father in a chess match, which is how he becomes a Kaiba. <laughs> Um, And that's how he gains access to a multi-million dollar corporation and invents the holographic dual disc system. What a fucking pretentious way to, like, become the heir to an empire is, I'll beat you in a chess match, father. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, like, I think chess is a pretty, like, standard way to introduce a character as being intelligent. Oh, yeah. And the fact that the show is about a game kind of makes it like pay off yeah it kind of makes sense but at the same time it's like (laughs) i'll tell you what old man if i can beat you in a chess match then you will have to adapt me (laughs) i like sort of love the audacity of that i think that's great it's pretty incredible shout out to seto (laughs) kaiba yeah um do you want to talk about boondocks for hot sack Uh, Yeah, I think it's, like, worth noting that, like, so far, of the shows that are from America, almost all of them have been white, except for Hero, who is half-white. And, uh, like, most of these characters just seem to end up falling on that scale. Like, and, and the animes all have them as native to Japan. Yeah. Um... 
So it's not like this is a very diverse... Um, no, we've got a lot of white dudes. Yeah. Um, we'll get um, to some but white the one ladies, exception in Western animation that I thought of yeah. is uh, Huey Freeman from The Boondocks, um, which was uh, an animated series based on a comic strip, mainly African-American issues in America. Um, just the struggles of a, a group of... Uh, a, a family, the Freemans, who came from the inner city and moved into like a rich white neighborhood, and them just talking yeah. about black culture. Um, and Huey is a literal terrorist on <laughs> America's watch list. That takes is, a lot. You know, like it's, you gotta have some smarts to do it that. It takes a lot. It's kind of badass. Like, no. I'm not in favor of terrorism myself. Bold stance. But uh, I think, like, you gotta <laughs> give him some props. Like, to get on the list at such a young age. And he's always shown as being ahead of well, the curve both on the, everything. The kids um, on that show are like incredibly intelligent. Right? Yeah. Because they're both like, serving as like commentary. Riley is not shown to have the kind of emotional yeah. intelligence. He's just sort of a uh, Riley Freeman, Huey's younger brother, is he's shown to basically wild. just be the pure embodiment of the right. culture that he's absorbed. He is, he is, you know, his catchphrase is literally like, stop being gay. Like that's uh-huh. his whole catchphrase. Um, <laughs> or like no right. homo is like his catchphrase because he's just so like absorbed everything toxic about the culture, which Huey is always right. chastising him for. Um, and Huey is always also chastising his grandfather for, you know, not understanding the generational difference between the civil rights movement when he was growing up, you know, around the time of Martin Luther King to the modern movement where Huey is this mm-hmm. sort of radical who is raging against the machine um, and he's, you know, cynical and everything and you know, even when Obama in the Obama gets elected episode, he's still like, this isn't going to change anything. Right. Shit's still going to be fucked. And yeah. he's pretty much right. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's really like a show about this he's kid the, being the only sane man, the, kind the window of. into the political truth yeah. of the time. And I think that's kind of a wish fulfillment thing. Um, there was one other uh, person of color on this list that I noticed, which is um, Riri Williams, who was just introduced. Um, she's like a teenage oh, genius. Oh shit! We're jumping out to the Comics. girls already. She's uh, well, you know, she's the only other person of color, so I think it's kind of time. Sure, I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> I wouldn't want to leave her out of the conversation sure. just because she's not a boy genius. Yeah, she's a girl genius. Girls, um, girls. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, Riri Williams is the new Iron Man. Um, you know, Marvel introduced a lot of new characters, um, partially to, to sort of expand the representation and partially just because the, the old characters are getting kind of stale. Um, and Riri is like a genius on the level of Tony Stark, but a teenager and, uh, a woman of color. So good for her yay representation i mean i will also make a case for 
um, Angus McDonald from the Adventure Zone, which, fair enough, is a podcast, He's so not a... played by a white person. I mean, yeah, but they're all played by white people. But I will say, <laughs> there's <laughs> they're all played by three straight white dudes, but that doesn't stop them from having some pretty decent representation, um, especially along gender lines. But I will say, there are many an artist who draw both Angus and um, the Madam Director as black um and it's it's pretty fanon at this point that like right. that's sort of how they they are i, I don't know call hey guys it call us me. out on it know. if it's like if i'm wrong on that and like that shouldn't count at all um but like for a non-visual medium like that's a fantasy we'll probably get into the idea of non-visual mediums or or visually obscure mediums and and representation in the future yeah. like we can talk about a lot with that we can talk about um night veil and homestuck mm-hmm. and you know lots of stuff with that and like head cannons about race guys but, uh, guys now, tell us if you want us to make each other really uncomfortable by us talking about race <laughs> Have an We're going to have to talk about race at some I know, point. Have an but Im- for now, it's an important we'll conversation. We'll just talk about representation, that, that we should... and we'll talk about girl geniuses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, sure. All right, let's talk about some some girls. Girl geniuses. Um, some, speaking, some lady types. Well, let's let's go through some more animation because there's a couple of girls in the animation category, and then we can sure. hop into books a little bit. All right. So, for starters, um, you've got uh, Avatar, one of our favorite shows. Hell yeah. As uh, Azula, who is pr- a pretty ingenious uh, young young lady. Oh, yeah. In terms of brutality and decimation. <laughs> Other girls we've got, um, this is a minor one. The Amazing World of Gumball has a pink bunny child named Anais Watterson who is smarter than her brothers, her parents, and pretty much everyone. Yeah. I don't think she ever invents anything, but she's in middle school, mm-hmm. despite being a baby. Yeah. So That's I pretty, think that works. That definitely seems to count. A baby it also falls into our baby geniuses category. Um, right. It's unclear how old any of them are. <laughs> it's a mystery. Um, um, then we've got... You've also got Recess. Yeah, Gretchen Grundler. I loved Gretchen. Did you watch Recess growing up? Oh, hell yeah. I loved me I, some I, Recess. I didn't watch it that much. What was Gretchen's big like, uh, pr- prodigious streak? So, like, she was just kind of the nerd. Like, she was there in the same way that, like, Jimmy Neutron exists to, like, have science sort of solve the problem of the episode. Um, and like she, you know, she would be the one who would like have a fact that might help them or like would have a (laughs) fact that would cause a complication about why they couldn't do that. Or like, you know, but she couldn't like invent a machine to make recess go on forever. Um, they, I think she certainly tried like, (laughs) like, I don't think it was a little bit more realistic. It was more like Rube Goldberg type inventions and things like that. Like it definitely was not the level of like I'm splitting an atom in our backyard <laughs> but it was certainly Makes sense. It, it was kind of a kids next dory but like one step down from that you know you know what that reminds me of that reminds me of like uh Digimon having Izzy yeah Izumi, um who is uh you know he's the computer whiz mm-hmm. and he's always just giving exposition yeah how did we miss that one it's a computer world what 
I'm so glad that you brought up Izzy. I love Izzy and Digimon, and he's a great animated kid genius. Yeah, I mean, like, to the extent of, like, well, what would an adult have done in that situation, they probably would have handled it fine. I think most of what he does is he just, like... Prodigious! He just, like, Googles things <laughs> while in the digital world. Yeah. But he's, like, the only one who, like, knows computers he enough to do that. He sort of, like, knows coding a little bit. Well, and then also... Like, in the 90s, like, knowing how to computer was a very real thing that made you different. Yeah, I, I remember I once was doing, a like, a play that I was writing myself with some friends... Um, and we sort of had this like magic wheel that you spun to see if you got a superpower. And one of the joke ones was able to program a VCR. Cause like no one can do that. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a toughie. Um, I still can't do it. Well, also on the Digimon front, we have Ken Ichijoji from, uh, Absolutely. from later in the for original Adventure series. Zero Two or the season two, whatever, yeah. depending on where you are. Um, yeah, he was a genius he literally because he was, was injected a, with a with an evil s s sneeze or something. I guess I don't know, <laughs> but like he that was, was he messy. was a genius. Like he was a confirmed genius in the real world and also soccer star. I guess that's like the thing in Japan is you're like a genius, but you also have to be really good at soccer. And then you're well, like, yeah, well, you have to be prodigious in all things. Right, but it's always you soccer. have to be a prodigy in your soul. I guess so. That means you probably like play at least one instrument. Yeah, you probably you play the piano. You know, are amazing at sports. Yeah, you're probably great in school, and you probably well, you literally have to be great at everything in Japan. You can't just be good at one thing to be a genius. Yeah. And, like, there are other, like, examples of that, of, you know, like, the the super genius good at everything. I mean, Death Note, the main character is very much that, but he's sort he's of older. older. Yeah. He's But, you know, Light Yagami is pretty explicitly supposed to represent, like, what America, or what Japan wants its youth to be, and then they portray him as a literal psychopath. Yeah. Um... So then there's other characters on Death Note who are also young and really smart and smarter than all the adults. Well, because you have to have a an antagonist. Sure. So you have L, but you also have N, who is, I think, only supposed to be 13, but he looks like he's, like, 6. See, like, I really disagree. I think he looks 13, but, like... He's got the, just such big eyes and, like, a big old head. He's definitely portrayed he as like childlike, I guess. Um, well, anyway, but he, N... N's got got the brains. Yeah, he's smarter than light, and that's he's supposed to be like the smartest person ever. <laughs> yeah, in the world of the show. Um, and I think we'd be remiss to remark upon girl geniuses in animation and not talk about Lisa Simpson. For sure. I mean, like it, she was definitely like flanderized, um, which is just basically when your character is whittled down to just a few traits over time. Yeah. Um. So she was flanderized into being much smarter than she was originally, and much more socially conscious than she was originally. Mm -hmm. But um, she's definitely smarter than any of her parents, and considering how stupid everyone she in might, Springfield yeah, is, she, might be, she might, smartest, might be the smartest person on the show. Yeah, she might be the smartest person in Springfield, for sure. Maybe except for uh, Professor Frank, um, who is literally just uh, <laughs> just the nutty professor. Yeah. So... Like if you're if the only person smarter than you is the nutty professor, then you're you're sitting pretty. Um, I think to wrap it up on animation, there's just one last thing that I want to mention real quick. 
because yeah. it's a garbage, garbage use of this trope. Okay. <laughs> Is uh, the anime Maho Sensei Nigama, where Neji... Anyone familiar with harem anime? Yeah, that's all this is. He's a boy Any genius. Any harem so that... anime fans in our audience? I mean, maybe. Who knows? Don't kink shame. Um... I won't, but no, I'm definitely going to kink shame. This is a show about a 10-year-old boy teaching a class full of high school girls... Who all have who a crush all on him. Have a crush and, on like, him. And they all have one character trait, because there's like 30 <laughs> of them. And like... Yeah. yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, I guess I wouldn't expect a show like this to deeply characterize all the female characters. I mean, I will but, say uh, they do a pretty okay job of, like, characterizing some of them. Like They seem different from each other, but uh, sure. I don't think they feel like real people. I, I don't know. I would disagree and say that maybe some of them do, but it's also been a thousand years since I watched this show, and I was a lot more... Yeah, as a defense for us even having seen this show ever... <laughs> um, the Funimation channel on cable <laughs> was a big part of both of our childhoods, yeah. and Funimation they would, just play would play a lot anything. of stuff. They just needed to fill programming slots, right? And they had they had this. a whole channel developed to what amounted to probably like twenty shows, <laughs> yeah, in their whole history, and they had nothing <laughs> like in syndication. Like I cannot tell you the amount of times that they showed the entirety of like Oran High School Host Club. <laughs> oh God. But that's a good harem anime. Yeah, because it's a reverse harem. Right. But there's no geniuses in that. No. So, Neguma. There well, we go. Well, actually, I would say there are geniuses in it, but they're all in high school, so it's fine. Okay. Well, God. So, Negi is a, is a prodigy in magic as well. So, like we said, magic and being a child genius go hand in hand because both are equally unrealistic. <laughs> Well, yes, and also, um, whatchamacallit, like, in this world, like, he's at a school teaching magic, so it's a, like, learned art that you can get good at. It's not just like, and then I'll use my will and be really good, blah, blah, blah. Right, but, you know, it's not like they did a lot of world building. It's not like he was a professor at Hogwarts. It kind of was. I guess it was. But, you know, like, there wasn't a lot of world building where you could really say, like, that he didn't just wave his hands around and shit happened. No, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so that's just just a quick mention of of that. Yeah, that's animation. Um, do you want to do you want to dive into some books? I think I might yeah. have the upper hand Let's here. Let's get some book learning going on. <laughs> so I think this is a fairly common trope in books, especially children's literature, because of that yeah. wish fulfillment element. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, kids want to read books about other kids being awesome because then they can imagine that they're awesome, you know? Right. I mean, how many YA stories are just self-insert fantasies? I mean, it's hard, It's almost hard to find a YA story that doesn't cover that in some way, shape, or form. Well, I might disagree with that a little bit, but... There's not a lot of YA that's like... Kids are stupid. No, well, exactly. Of course you're not going to find a thing that says kids are stupid, but there's also not a lot of fantasy that says fantasy's dumb, and if an adult believes in magic, they're lame. Like, they're not going to alienate... I think there should be more of those, but in any case. But I think more than that, they there are a lot of YA stories that say children are smarter than adults. I mean, even Harry Potter, like, none of those kids are geniuses, and yet they outsmart 
genius professors well, and right, the greatest because... wizards in the world over and over and over again. Okay, well, okay. I'm going to clarify a point here that I think okay. it's fair that you didn't know about. There's a difference between young adult and middle grade fiction. Um, and I That's think true. a lot of what we're going to talk about is actually classified as middle grade fiction, which is for kids like age 9 through 12 versus kids age 13 and up, which is what YA. I apologize for denigrating. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. It's just like there is like a genre difference to them. Yeah, um, absolutely. And like I just wanted to, to clear that up. Um, right. So like what would you say um, series of unfortunate events falls into series of unfortunate events is solidly middle grade, definitely older okay. middle grade, but definitely, I mean, it went on for a while. It went on for a while, but I would say unlike Harry Potter, which started out middle grade and became YA by the end and sort of the books aged with right. the kids who were reading it. Um, series of unfortunate events, the series of unfortunate events was kind like, of, it was kind of on the same like, level more. Or right. Less the, the Like, I would say the content of the books did not really shift. Just the length. Um, and, like, and the the writing style. But it never even got that much longer. Right. Like, it was, there was never a 700-page <laughs> series true. of unfortunate events novel, you know? Um, and, like, the style stayed very consistent. And, like, the level of vocabulary explained was also very consistent. Um, would I say, like did evolve was the characters and the characterization yeah um but like i don't think it necessarily like i would still have to walk into like the kids section of the bookstore to go get the newest version of series of unfortunate events it was a really good wish fulfillment i think even though it's about the worst universe possible (laughs) yeah so i love series of unfortunate events um it is one of those children's book series that gets a lot of shit for being potentially too dark but i'm just gonna say it's amazing i mean a lot of but a lot of bad stuff's happened but i think it that's the premise there's definitely kids i know they a (laughs) lot of people pick up the book if you're looking for a happy ending they literally tell you (laughs) don't read this if you're looking for a happy ending (laughs) but like what a great way to get a kid to read a book is they don't read it you know agreed um but but yeah, so the kids in these books, they're sort of the only sane person. A lot of the thesis of the book is that adults are bad either through incompetence or ignorance or or um, malice, inability. often malice. Or malice, yeah. Like, there are bad adults, but I would say a lot of times you're most disappointed with people in the books Mr. is Poe. when it's an adult. Who, well, Mr. Poe, but he's incompetent from the beginning, <laughs> you know? Um, but, like, they meet a nice adult, and either that nice adult is killed or he's or she is too scared or too um like too oblivious or too trusting of other adults and dismissive of children and like i think that's an important lesson for kids to learn that like sometimes adults are wrong because sometimes adults are wrong very true so like what kind of books do you think really really qualify as child genius um, like no Question yeah, about so it. definitely Matilda by Roald Dahl. Like, yes, this kid absolutely. learns to read at three, and then she's so smart, she develops magic. Like, that's how genius she is. Um, <laughs> like, she does, like, these crazy math problems in her head the first day of school, and the teacher's like, wow, this kid's so smart. But then, of course, she's persecuted for how smart she is, blah, blah, blah. Um, right. That's another thing, is a lot of these stories that aren't about wish fulfillment as much, they're more about, like... 
um, how dare we alienate these people right. just for being smarter than us? And I think they're often... Why do we alienate the special people? Right. I think they're often made by <laughs> smart people who felt alienated in their childhood. Um, Absolutely. That definitely applies to Ender's Game, Yes, right? definitely. Um, I think that... that Even whole... though it was written by a genuinely terrible person. <laughs> yes, he is... Who hates gay people. He is bad and... We don't buy Ender's Game. Get it from your local library. I'll just say that. Yeah, let's, your library yeah, good probably advice. has it, um, and it's worth reading. Yeah. It's a good book, but also that person is garbage. So fair enough if yeah. you don't read it. Ender from Ender's Game is a child soldier who is a genius, and he's bullied for his genius. Yeah, like he's bullied for his genius at genius school. Like that's how genius he is. Right. And he, and he genocides a bunch of people, but, like, we don't like to talk about that. It was like it was like an oopsie. Well, like, to be fair, he didn't actually know he was <laughs> committing genocide. Um, right, but isn't that the whole point? Yeah. Is that we forgive him, even though he genocided a bunch of people. He did, yeah, I mean, like, David, if someone was like, press this button and you'll win a video game, you'd be like, okay. And then if someone was like, you just murdered everyone in, like... Germany, like, <laughs> can we blame Oops. you? Like, I don't know. All right, I don't blame Ender. Ender did nothing wrong. No, <laughs> justice <laughs> for Ender. No, it's fine. Um, yeah, so that's Ender. Um, again, like these are all pretty much middle grade stories that have these okay. really genius kids. Um, but then there's Artemis Fowl from the Artemis Fowl series who is right. literally, like, just the smartest kid ever, and he's so smart, but also young enough to still believe in magic, sort of going back to, like, that FMA thing of, like, um, incredibly smart, but still, like, naive, naive enough to believe in fairy gold and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, he's the only child who could actually make use of magic by both believing in it and also And being as smart being... as, like, the craziest person. Yeah, and being a businessman. Yes, definitely. Like, he knows how to a negotiate. A business boy. Um, then real quick, there's Alex Ryder from the Alex Ryder series, where he's just kind of, like, a super spy, uh, but, like, right. he's also good at, like, computer hacking and, like, other stuff. It's kind of like Kids James Bond. Um, and then... It's like Kids Next Door. Yeah. They're spies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and then I think to bring us home on the book front, um, we've got... Young Wizards series, which is one of my favorites. Haven't read. A lot of people haven't, and I'm telling you, go out and read it now. Um, but okay. there's... God, I'm going to mispronounce her name. It's like Doreen or something. Darian. I like really... Darien. I really... Darini. Like Dire. <laughs> no, um <laughs> Sorry, I really just don't know how to pronounce it. But she is the one of the main characters' younger sisters, and there's like an entire book devoted to her being a genius and so good at wiz wizardry that she literally invents a new race of like aliens um, <laughs> and is their mom because she's that smart. And they're like robots. <laughs> she she invents a mom alien race. Yeah, basically she like learns magic and then brings her laptop to life with magic science. Also, like magic in this world is like science plus language equals magic kind of. Um, I mean, they have aliens, so I guess that's enough. <laughs> Listen, it's a great series. Everyone should read it. Um, okay. But yeah, uh, she she's a super genius and like 
is sort of one of the most powerful wizards and blah, blah, blah. Um, and again, gotcha. it's a lot of wish fulfillment, but it creates some great problems for them to all solve and sort of some jealousy for the main character who discovered magic first and some, some good character growth comes from it. Um, all, right. all right. So I think that, What about uh, Wrinkle in Time? Oh, A Wrinkle and in you Time. You wanted to bring that one up. We should talk about that. Um... Because you have a creepy genius as a plot device, though. Yeah, so Charles Wallace. So, like, everyone in this series is supposed to be, like, really smart. Um, but, like, especially in the first book. Um, so smart that they can science their way into another dimension. <laughs> yeah, they sort of get magicked into another dimension by magic witch plot devices. Um there's a lot of plot devices. This book is weird. P- please someone explain this book to me who, like, really loved it and read it as a kid. Because I read it as a grown-up. And, like, I gotta say, I don't get it. <laughs> um, and someone explained to me the trailer for the movie. Yeah. I mean, like, I could do that because I understand what happened. But, like, it's bizarre. Anyway, um, the creepiest and most genius of all these childs is also... <laughs> The youngest, who is Charles Wallace. Charles Wallace, wow. Um, and he basically... He's, like, three and, like, took, like, or maybe five, but basically he didn't speak until he was three, but then he started speaking in full sentences and sort of, like, <laughs> is oddly prophetic in the things that he says. And, like, it's very bizarre. <laughs> it sounds very bizarre. Yeah. Does he end up being possessed? No, we didn't include any people who were possessed on this list. I think that's fine. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of possessed genius children. They're usually well, just you know, if you've creepy. Got, if you've got all of the knowledge of Satan at your disposal, <laughs> then I guess that makes you a genius. Maybe. Um, I I think that's all the books on this list. Right. So a lot of these are are very child aimed, but like not everything with. Child Geniuses in it is aimed at children. Totally. You've also got some TV shows that are like family shows for, for you know, adults and children. And then some movies. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about that for a little bit. Totally. Um, uh, one of my favorite shows with a smart kid in it ever is Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, that's a great show. Which is, a, I think, probably the most realistic depiction of intelligence on this list. Sure. Um, them, I mean, I'm sure that's arguable, but, like, Malcolm is a a kid from, you know, a low-income household. He's got um, two older brothers and a younger brother, and his parents are, uh, you know, working jobs that they hate for very little money, and it's a, it's a high-pressure situation. But then he fi- they all find out that he is a super genius... Um, who can do tons of math in his head. And, and like, other stuff. Like, he's really good at memorizing facts about history and doing science. And, like, it's just, like, sort of right. all around incredibly smart. It's like an IQ thing. Yeah. It's not like he's a savant, but he just has, like, he just you know, learns a faster. high IQ. Yeah. And better. And, I, and that makes him feel othered by his family. Like, he's somewhat concerned about being othered, you know, Socially. in the classroom. I think he's very but, like, concerned the real with that. center, yeah, the real center of, like, this thing is that he was secretly really smart, and now he feels like his family doesn't see him as normal anymore. Well, I don't know. I think that's sort of the, the premise of, like, the first couple episodes. 
But then it right. very quickly becomes, I just want to be normal, but I have to hang out with all these nerds doing, like, right. other stuff at school. The Krellboyans, as they're called. Yeah. Because it's the Krellboyan class for the mentally gifted. Yeah. Um, and it, it really explores that, you know, the idea of being placed in a gifted class and what that does to you socially and, you know, how how it affects you emotionally. Right, and sort of, um, there's a lot of interesting... Um, exploration of like class differences because a lot of the other that's people, the focus of the show yeah i would say is that most of the other kids in the crowboy class are extremely privileged Definitely white affluent. kids who are or very even if they're baby. not white like they're all rich you know like or right. they're all I middle mean, like class stevie obviously isn't white and he's he has a disability but like he is babied in a lot of ways and he's rich yeah um and like the idea that none of them are treated like adults they're treated like freaks <laughs> yeah um, on the other end of the spectrum um we've got fucking young sheldon which is the exact same plot except for if you swap out like regular intelligence <laughs> for like you know savantism and well and you just you make know, malcolm the most unlikable person disorder. on the planet it's like Sheldon's already very unlikable as like a grown up, and then you make him an insufferable brat, and like. Right. I mean, this is the thing: is just that like the framing of Malcolm is that he's a brat, and that you should kind of like see him as like a child who's rude and disrespectful. But like with Sheldon, he is like the god of the story. Yeah. Um. At least in the pilot, like he which is, is the smartest and can do no wrong. Right. So, like, even when he insults people to their faces, like, it's just that they have to learn to accept his unique flavors, his Sheldon style. Yeah. Um, And that's, I think, like, what makes that show so unlikable, for me at least, is that, like, we're meant to completely sympathize with everything that Sheldon goes through, but not sympathize at all with any of the other characters who treat him, like dirt because they just don't understand difference and that's a really shallow way of constructing a story right i'd love to hear if like these stories were less common in other countries that are more collectivist or you know less believing in natural talent or natural gifts and i think that kind of goes to tie all this together right yeah it's, it's very much this, is, this idea that these kids are all naturally gifted this way. It's not like they got superpowers or anything. It's like their smartness is their superpower. They also didn't, like, go to school to learn this stuff. They either were, you know, like, taught everything they know themselves. Or, you know, they... Like, it has nothing to do with their environments. It, it has everything to do with their genes or, you know, just some kind of random prodigy gene. Right. That pops and up and I think on that note is the perfect time to talk about Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> yes. The ch- this is we we left him till the end because he's he's an interesting case. Um he's just like a chosen one and because he's the chosen one, he's good at everything he's so good at everything is it the midichlorians are the midichlorians just part of him why are they called that why do they exist i don't even know if they're canon anymore <laughs> midichlorians who knows they literally like don't bring them up past the second movie other than to like explain that he was like a virgin birth type thing <laughs> yeah made out of made out of uh made out of the force right 
So, like, is he even really that much of a genius when he builds C-3PO? Like, I mean, kind of. Like, I couldn't build C-3PO when I was nine or however old he's right but if you were one with the force you could pretty much do anything you wanted but i I think because it's basically your luck attribute that's what the force is right well kind of it's just luck uh kind of um i think it's more than that um it's spirituality sure it's you know power of will but Mm. when it gets down to it when you're talking about like okay you need to you need to be really good at at being a pilot really quick okay just put your faith in the force and everything will kind of turn out okay. right but like like it's this idea that some people are more force sensitive than others that like that's the geniusness of it like like some people (sighs) are just naturally smarter some people are just naturally more in tune with the force and like got more midichlorians you can work at it but those people who are just naturally good at it are always going to be like a little bit better yep um, and I think that's entirely Anakin Skywalker. And I think I think you're right. That's a really good summation of this like child genius trope in general. Is that they're really just chosen one narratives, but the thing choosing them is just that they're smart. Right. Like, and it's it's sort of it's interesting because I think a lot of times they create their own problems. It's not like like especially if you look back at some of our earlier examples, like Jimmy Neutron and Dexter's Lab. Sure. It's like they invent something that goes terribly wrong or like they right sometimes they invent their own problems and in that case it's usually wish fulfillment and sometimes the problems are caused by prejudice of their genius right and then it's not wish fulfillment it's something stupid and entirely different (laughs) well i don't think necessarily stupid uh well i i don't think i really liked any of the examples on this list malcolm in the middle but it was, like, he wasn't really prejudiced against. It was just that, you know, he felt, nah, I guess so. It's still an othering narrative. They just handle it better, I think. Yeah, you're right. So, like... He's not treated like he's totally in the right and off the hook for everything. Right. Because he's prejudiced against. Right. It's like, yeah, sure, you get picked on, but also, you're a little bit of a shit, too, kid. Um, yeah. Which, like, is... Malcolm. Is great. Um, and, like... Yeah, I I don't know. I love this trope. I think it's it's an important trope. It's worth exploring more. I think it's worth subverting have. more. Even the subversions that we talked about, it was still like, you know, a subversion only in that there was like a different type of representation or it was, you know, the method by which they became a genius is slightly different, but like for the most part, like the these are all kind of samey. Yeah. Right? So maybe that's our challenge to you guys. Um, if you know of a, a an example of a, of a bigger subversion of this trope, we'd love to hear it. Um, yeah. Also, if, if it doesn't exist already, maybe you should write it, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, maybe we send should write all of it. Your, send all of your fiction, all of your first drafts, yeah. to... At Talking Tropes at Twitter. Yeah, definitely. Just link us to that Google Doc. We'll dive right in. Um, <laughs> um, I think that's it for us, guys. Yeah. Have a good time and, uh, you know. Solve a mystery. Uh, solve a mystery and don't uh, have a brain blast. Yeah. Bye. Bye.